Well, changes are coming. And I don't just mean for the season of our church, right? This is the promise of a new year. This is what all of us uh, put our hopes in. When we have a new year, we have an opportunity to make changes. We have an opportunity to think about uh, what has happened in the past to review our year. Someone I talked to in the first service just did a whole audit of their year. That sounds exhausting, not for me, but that's great for them. Uh, But also it's an opportunity to look ahead, right? To start thinking about our future, to think about the plans that we want to make. And for maybe for some of you, that's like physical fitness, right? Last year, you kind of fell off the wagon or, or you just didn't really uh, like the way that things ended. And so you've joined your gym, right? You've, you've already researched what diet plan you're going to start. And you're, you're, you know, you're trying to figure out that you're, you, uh, you're continuing to think about your health and, and the way that things are working out. And so you're really trying to focus on your physical fitness. And maybe for some of you, it is your finances, Right? Maybe for some of you, it's like, I really need to be saving more. I should probably stop eating out all the time. I need to cut out the Taco Bell and the coffee, and I need to just really focus on this. Or maybe it's planning for your retirement. It's time to start doing that. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's buying a house, and, and it's your finances that you're really focused on, this change in your life. Right? If it's jobs, it's grades, it's romance, The new year gives us opportunity to start thinking about what we want our lives to look like in the future, right? It's just this marker in time that says, let's see what we can change. What are the things in my life that I want to be different? How do I want to look back a year from now and see that things have grown, things have have been changed, how I've set a new course? And that's the reality, I think, for most of us, even if the most cynical of us, so we don't think that like New Year's resolutions really work, we start to think about, well, maybe if I just did a little bit something different. But how many of us focus on our faith? How many of us focus on prayer? And not just to pray, but, but even just to pray that God would do these things, right? That God, would you help me to focus on my finances? Or God, would you help me to focus on, on what I can change? God, would you help me to, to make things better in some way? But, but maybe even to take it a step further and, and ask God in prayer, what should I change? What should I do differently? How should this impact my life? Is this season an opportunity to reflect, God, on what you're doing in my life? And if so, then what should I actually be reflecting on? See, I think we're really good at at making lists of of tasks and to-do lists or even just dreaming in our heads on what it is that we would like to see different and then asking God to bless it, right? Going to him and saying, God, these are the things that if I just had in my life, I would be satisfied, I would be confident, I would be comfortable, I would just enjoy things so much more if my life looked like this. And so if you could just go ahead and make these things happen, just give me that house and give me that job and give me that girlfriend and give me these things that I just want so that I could just be satisfied, and I think that reality is, is that that's kind of how we approach prayer. We approach prayer as almost like God's this genie. And if we just rub the lamp and come to him and say, Lord, if you just give me this thing, if you could just uh, get me out of this cave and, and if you could make me a prince, so I get that princess and start and sound like a movie. But um, if you could just change things the way that I want them to be, God, if you could just do this for me, God, if you could just make things the way that I want them. Is that how a lot of your prayers sound? Because to be honest, I feel like sometimes that's how my prayers sound. So as we open up this series in prayer, we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages. And this morning in Luke 18, Jesus gives us this passage of where the power of prayer comes from. And it's a challenge to his disciples. 
They're entering into a season where he's, Jesus is preparing them for ministry without him. Ending the, uh, nearing the end of his life and looking ahead to his resurrection, Jesus knows he won't be with them forever. And so he wants to prepare them. What does life look like as a follower of Christ without him physically next to them, teaching them and showing him which way to go each day? And so he's preparing them even in this way when he talks about prayer. And Luke 18 gives us his parable. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, he find his faith on earth. So we have in this passage is a parable. And we remember a parable is a story that, that Jesus utilizes a lot, a, a short story that gives us this imagery, almost an allegory, right? Just metaphor to hone in on a particular message that he wants his disciples to understand. And in this story, we have two characters, right? The first is this unrighteous judge. And the second is this unrelenting widow. If we think about what the purpose of a judge is, this is a man in his society that has been given responsibility to uphold justice, to ensure that people's lives and their culture are following a path of righteousness. He's been given authority to make decisions in order to protect people, in order to ensure that their lives are protected from from wrongdoing, in order to make sure that the people who do wrongdoing are exacted with punishment. He has a responsibility to the people around him. But Jesus describes this judge uniquely. And the first is that he's a judge that does not fear God. What that means is he has no regard for any type of authority over him. He has, he has no care in the world for some God that might be above him, righteous in judgment. Now, maybe to us, that doesn't sound that weird. Right? I mean, I don't know how many times I've thought about whether or not a judge in, in one of our court systems is a believer and, and believes that God, let alone that God would, would judge his actions or her actions. And so for us, that might not sound too strange, but in the society that Jesus is talking to, these judges sat under the authority of God, right? This is a society that is built upon the law of God. This is a society that looked at people in positions of authority as as representatives of the Lord himself. And so whether you're a king or a priest, or in this case, a judge, what you are doing is trying to pursue God's will in in your role. And so his responsibility was to make judgments as God would make those judgments. He had a role that said, this is the way that God would understand this circumstance. And and this is the way that God would want things to work out. And, And in the reality of a sinful world, this is what he would judge. And in this story, the judge has no care, no fear for God. Other kings, other positions of authority, other people would have recognized that as a representative of God, God was looking upon them. 
God was seeing their actions, understanding their decisions. And so therefore the decisions they made, God would be well aware of and would judge them for. They were responsible for what they chose to do. And this guy didn't care. And the second is this, and in our culture today too, we understand this well, right? If, if we have judges that may or may not believe in God, at the very least, they're still responsible to uphold justice. And so how do we make sure they do that? It's us, right? The people, the society, the culture around, they're the ones, we are the ones that make sure that our judges judge justly. Right? If they're not doing their, their will, if they're not doing uh, the responsibility of the culture and the laws, then they're going to lose their position. Right? Whether they're appointed or elected or however that works in their role, they're going to not be a judge anymore if people don't believe in their, their work. And yet this guy, again, doesn't care. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about how people see him. He's in a position of power, but he has no authority holding him responsible. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. His reputation doesn't matter. He's in a position of authority that people can't take from him. And so he just does what he wants. He makes the decisions based on what he desires. He is the one in authority and he's the one that is going to rule. And so he's going to do that according to what he, what he wants. Now on the second hand, we have this widow a person who in that culture would have been in a position of weakness, a position of vulnerability. We don't have any details about her circumstances beyond that, just that she's been wronged by an adversary and that she's seeking justice, but she would have had very little recourse. And it's clear that in this position, this is something that is desperately needed. She desperately wants justice. In her position as a widow, she wouldn't have many opportunities to, to have financial gain to support herself. She would have been at the mercy of others being kind and her family taking care of her or, or maybe in some small cases being able to do something. But it seems clear that she's, she's really in need of what this judge can do is give her justice. To show mercy and to do what is right. So as we start thinking about this parable, uh, this is the big idea for today. This is uh, what we think about the power of prayer. The power of prayer is found in a desperate posture, persistent practice, and a faithful father. The power of prayer is found in a desperate posture, persistent practice, and faithful father. If we have these two characters, they contrast with each other, right? I mean, you have this this powerful judge doing whatever he wills, and then this woman in her society having no opportunity to do anything of her will. And so she desperately comes to the judge for justice. She's seeking after what he can do because she can't do anything. She's seeking after him to help her, to give her what she needs, to, to fulfill what she desires. What she desires is justice from her adversary. See, the reality is, is that what she has is one option for the judge to rule in her favor. While he's in a position that he gets to do whatever he wants, she's in a position that she has really no options. And so what we start to see in this parable is that there is this posture of this woman. 
that she continues to return to the judge, though he doesn't care what she wants. He doesn't have anything uh, of desire from her. She, he, she can't get him anything. There's nothing that he wants to do to make him help her. He just doesn't care. And yet that's her only hope. And so she continues to turn to him because she's desperate. She needs him. She needs his power, his authority. If we start thinking about prayer, how often are we looking to God to just fulfill our plans, to fulfill our desires? I think the reality is a lot of us pray, don't, not from a, power, a position of, of desperation or of humility, but a position of power. And what I mean by that is this, we go to God and asking him for what we want. Right, we go to God, and I was, I was so good at this at college, I would like forget about tests. And yet, God, uh, right before this test, I'm just going to pray that you would help me recall everything that I slept through in class so that I could pass this test. Or, God, I just, you know, I really should have studied more, but would you just help me to remember everything that I didn't read? We go to God and asking Him for, for doing the things for us. We go to God and asking him to, to make our lives the way we want them to be, to give us the type of relationship we want, to make the, the job that we want, that we've been longing for ours, to live in the location we want, to drive the kind of car we want, to have the future we want, to take the trips we want so that I can eat the food that I want and drink the coffee that I want. God, give us health and protect us from sickness because that's what I want. God, watch over me and protect me from suffering because that's what I want. We don't go to God in a position of desperation. We go to God in a position of power, seeing like we know exactly what our lives should look like and then asking him to give it to us. But on the flip side, this woman doesn't want that. She just wants justice. She, she just wants what is good and she has no power. And she goes to the only person that has any power, her, her only hope. And if we're thinking about prayer, then we really start to, to realize that we're in a position of desperation. I mean, compared to the power of a God who is the creator of all things, the power of a God who knows us and loves us, the power of a God who sees us, and the power of God who is working all things together, we're desperate. We're in desperate need because our circumstances need his help. We're powerless. And the reality is, is that many of us have experienced that, right? Because we have spent a lot of time, I mean, certainly I have spent a lot of time praying for grades or praying for money or praying for things that I think are good. But on the flip side, then there's circumstances in our lives when we are confronted with that, that family member who has cancer or that friend who passes away, or that friend who doesn't know God and is in deep depression, and we're powerless to do anything. We go to God in prayer, asking him to change something, asking him to do something different, asking him to do something that we can't do ourselves. The power of prayer starts with humility recognizing that when we go to, to God with supplications, with requests, we're going to the God who has the power to do things because we can't. Going to the God who, who sees our circumstances and understands them better than we do.
So this woman was desperate. And so she went to the judge. But the judge didn't care. She wasn't just desperate, she was persistent, right? This judge heard her plea, told her no, and moved on. So she came back. And she tried again. And he told her no, and he moved on. So she came back, and again he said no. So she came back, and again he said no, and she came back, and again he said no. See, what happened is this woman continued to return day after day after day after day after day, persistently working to ask him, to plead with him, to beg with him. She had no other hope. There was no way in this society for her to make any change, to make anything else other than for this judge to rule in her favor. There was no way for her to make things right on her own. She couldn't take matters into her own hands. She couldn't just make sure that her adversary was defeated or imprisoned or whatever circumstance could be changed. She had no way of doing that. It was all dependent on this judge and he didn't care at all. He didn't care. There was nothing that was going to change his mind. He didn't, she didn't matter to him. But she was persistent. And she continued to go back day after day after day, trusting that there was the only hope she had was to go to him. There was nothing else she could do in the circumstances. This was the only way things might change. And so she returned to him again and again and again. And then we see this in verse four, I'll read again. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Right? So in other words, I'm sick of this woman bothering me every day. Right? I'm sick of her pestering me. I'm sick of seeing her face. So every day she comes up and, and talks to him and asks him for justice. And every day he says, no, leave me alone. I've got other things to do. I don't care. And so finally, he's just tired of having that conversation. And so he rules in her favor. Right? The idea in this passage is she, the guy literally says to himself, I'm going to get like a black eye, right? Beaten down. This woman is just stressing me out. So I'm done with it. I'll just give you what you want. And not just what you want, but what you want is justice, so I'll give that to you. Her persistence changes his mind. Right? Her persistence changes his mind. So she is coming in this desperate posture, humbling herself to come before George, a judge that has no idea what is wrong with her and doesn't care. But her willingness to continue to return and just bother him causes him to do what is right. Causes him to do what is right, to change his mind and to rule in her favor. See, the reality is that she believes that this might do something. And it took way longer than it should have. Right? A, a righteous judge should rule in the favor of righteousness. It should be simple and straightforward. And even in a complex situation, they should have the wisdom to see clearly what they are supposed to do and do it. But he didn't. And so she had to keep coming back to bother him, keep coming back to pester him, keep coming back to show him what was good and righteous. And so she did. Day after day after day until he ruled in her favor The reality is, that's a belief in the power of what she was doing, right? 
Now on the flip side, again, this is a parable, right? It's, an, it's a metaphor. So we're thinking about this through the lens of prayer. And while we think about the posture that we approach God with in prayer, we also need to think about the persistence that we approach God with in prayer. See, the reality is, is that I feel like for me, I tend to pray for things like once or twice and then move on. And maybe for, for really hard things, really challenging things, a few more times. But very few times, I mean, in the last year, one major thing is the decision for our two churches, but very few other things do I continue to go back to God in prayer over and over and over again, seeking his will, seeking his wisdom, seeking what he desires above my own. Right, so often prayer isn't this persistent and consistent thing where I'm asking God to have his kingdom uh, done, his, his will done for his kingdom to come. So often it's just me, whatever like I feel like that day, whatever is just on my heart, whatever's on my mind, whatever I read or watched the night before and how that's impacted my desires for something new. But this woman was focused she knew what she needed. She was persistent. And as Jesus prepares his disciples for, for moments when he will not be with them any longer, he knows that there's a time when they're going to be facing persecution and challenges and, and barriers to their ministry and continuing to share the gospel in this world, the good news and the hope that there is in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that people aren't going to want to hear that. And even more so that they're going to suffer for that. And he is going to try to prepare them in this parable to continue to seek God's will. Because they're going to know what it feels like to pray for things to change, to pray for people to believe, to pray for lives to be transformed, and for that to seem like it's falling on deaf ears. Jesus wants them to believe in the power of prayer, the type of prayer that, that causes them to pause and to do it regularly and consistently and continuously. So we're going to do something just a little different. It's a little weird maybe for some of you, but we're going to pause and we're going to pray. And we're going to take a moment just to do that right now because uh, maybe some of you have, uh, maybe some of your sports fans and you have heard a lot about or a little about um, DeMar Hamlin. NFL football player who had a serious cardiac arrest on the field. This is, uh, for sports fans, been a big news thing, and, and maybe some of you have heard of it, even if you're not a sports fan, maybe, um, maybe just on social media. But one thing that happened as a result of that is immediately people, of course, were, were concerned, and he was taken to the hospital, and uh, on social media, people began to post things like, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, our thoughts and prayers for Hamlin and his family, our thoughts and prayers uh, with them, uh, and even eventually things like, like he plays for the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, if there's any fans in here or a fan in here. Um, he, uh, they, they even came out and said, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. And it became pretty commonplace for people to be saying this about, and it really is right when tragedy or something uh, monumental like this occurs people say those types of things well there's a sportscaster named dan orlovsky and he was hearing this a, a lot all right on on shows that he's on and obviously through social media and other other uh, avenues and so what he began to realize in just a few days ago he decided to do as a response to that was to pause in the middle of his broadcast uh, with his co-anchors next to him and to pray and so for about 60 seconds, he took the time to pray, uh, just as, as we would pray in here, that God would do something, 
Did he bring healing? He prayed for the family that uh, he believed that there was power in prayer and it was more than just like a tweet to send out or a sentimental kind of condolence. It was something to be done. And so he took the time to do that in the middle of that broadcast. And it only took about 60 seconds and he prefaced it with how awkward it was to do that on live TV. And he closed it with how awkward he felt to do that on live TV. But he believed that there was something in that. So he set that example because he believed in the power of prayer. And so what we're going to do right now in this moment is we're going to take like 30 seconds and you can do it by yourself and by your head. You can do it with the person next to you if you feel more comfortable uh, doing it that way with the person you came with. But we're going to take 30 seconds and we're going to pray just in the middle of this service right now by ourselves. If you don't know what to pray for, you can pray for your family. You can pray for our church in this season. You could just pray to God and ask him, Lord, put on my heart, what should I be praying about? Uh, But we're going to do that right now. So go ahead and bow your heads and then I'll close in just a second. God, we thank you that we have the access through the sacrifice and resurrection of your son to come to you as our heavenly father, to speak with you and that you would listen to us, God, that you hear our prayers. Father, we pray that we would be recognizing amidst your power that we are weak and desperate for you, Father. We pray that you would give us a practice of persistency in our prayer that... um, compels us to continue to return to you for all things that we need, for all things that we desire, and above all things, God, for your kingdom to be built on this earth. Father, we trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's continue and wrap things up with the final verses. Follow along in verse six. And the Lord said, that is Jesus, illustrating what this parable means. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What Jesus is saying to his disciples is listen to this story. Here you have an unrighteous judge whose mind was changed by a woman simply because she was persistent because she recognized the position that she was in and she willingly continued to return to him. And if God is not just an unrighteous judge, if God is this righteous judge who truly knows everything that is going on around us, who truly sees the way that we live our lives and also the way that people live their lives around us, he sees everything that is happening and he is good and he is loving. Isn't he going to give his people justice? Yes. Justice will come. And the disciples are are getting ready to face a time when their prayers may not always be answered. And Jesus is preparing them for that. But the power.
power of prayer is not simply in persistence. It's not simply in, in humbling ourselves and getting down on our knees and talking to the floor. R.C. Sproul said it this way. Prayer is not simply a soliloquy, a mere existence in therapeutic self-analysis or a religious recitation. Prayer is discourse with the person, God himself. Prayer isn't effective. The power of prayer is not just in our ability to set aside time every morning to do it. It's not just in the consistency to to pray for the same things over and over again. The power of prayer is in the audience of our prayers that we have a heavenly father who listens to us, a faithful father who hears our prayers and desires to give us justice, a faithful father who loves us and wants to do good for us, a God who sees us and knows us. And knows what we need. That doesn't mean he always gives us what we want. My son is two years old, which means he is completely dependent on Lauren and I. He's utterly dependent on Lauren and I to do just about everything for him, but make a mess. Like he, he, yeah, it's true. He, uh, he needs us for food and he needs us to clothe him and to bathe him and to care for him and do all of these things for him. And so last night at 1.30 in the morning, when he starts crying, what does he say? Dad, dad. And so I have to get up out of bed and go to him and see how he's doing and settle him down. And then again, at 2.30 in the morning, when he cries, what does he say? Dad, dad. And so I have to get up and go to him and see what's going on. And then again, at 5.30 this morning, I'm starting to wish it was mama. But again, he says, dad, dad. See, my son knows that if he needs something, he can come to us and receive what he needs. He doesn't always ask for what he he needs though. Sometimes he just asks for what he wants, right? Sometimes he just asks for what he thinks looks good. So sometimes it's it's a treat on the on the counter, right? Some kind of um, fruit. You know, he really loves oranges. So he always he sees an orange on the counter, he orange, orange, orange. Like literally just repeat he's two. He doesn't know a lot of words, but he knows orange, orange, orange. But sometimes he doesn't even know what it is. So maybe it's like a knife on the counter and he sees, what's that? Because he can say, what's that really well? And then he says, that. Like, I want that. I want that. And so I'll give him the orange. I don't give him the knife. It's a little bit like prayer sometimes. Tim Keller put it this way. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Either give us what we ask in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. See, the reality is is that a faithful father is the power of prayer. We come to him in our desperate posture, understanding that before his power, we are powerless. And, And we come to him persistently. We should not give up. Right? Jesus opens this whole passage with don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for that person that doesn't know him. For that family member or that friend that you desperately want to know Jesus, don't stop praying for them. For that person that's wronged you, don't stop praying for the justice that you deserve. Don't stop praying for what is good and to, be thing, to have things change. Don't stop praying for God's kingdom to come, right? When, when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, teach us how to pray, what did he say? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't stop praying. But the power of prayer is because we have an audience that hears our prayers. That audience is God himself. 
who knows us and sees us and loves us. And so in this moment in our, in our church, in this season of the next month or so, we have an opportunity to seek God, to turn to him in prayer and ask him for his will to be done, to ask him for his kingdom to come, to ask him to be working in our hearts as individuals, as in our lives as a church community as one. And so there's really two ways that we, as we close this passage uh, today that we want to we put this into practice. And the first is this, you should have gotten one of these guides. This is a 21-day prayer guide, right? So each day for the next 21 days, we're going to take time on our own to pray. And there's passages in here that you can read through, and there's a section where you can write down your notes or what you pray about. Uh, and the good news is you've already done it. We just did it a few minutes ago for today, so you could check that box. Day one, boom. That's better than I did on my Bible reading plan this year so far. Maybe. Um, but so take this opportunity to pray for the next 21 days and maybe pair that with a fast as well. And you can do that. Uh, maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's uh, fasting from something like social media, but something that, that causes you to turn then to the Lord in prayer in those times when you really feel like you need it. So prayer and fasting. And then the second is specific to this morning. As we close our service, we have an opportunity to reflect on God and what he's done for us through communion. If you're a believer, if you believe that Jesus died and was resurrected to bring you salvation, and communion is an opportunity where we turn to God to seek after and recognize the power that he has shown us in, and the hope that we have in Jesus alone. It's an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice that he made when we take the bread, his body, and the wine, his blood, and when we take that together to remember what he has done for us. And if you're not a believer, if you're not sure that any of this is even real, then this is an opportunity for you to stay where you are in your seat and just to turn to God in prayer. You're going to be here for the next couple of minutes anyway. And just ask him, is it real? Should I believe this stuff? And see what happens. And so the band's going to start coming up after I close in prayer here, and uh, then you'll have the opportunity to take communion. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the, the way that we could gather together and study your word. God, we ask that you would uh, be working in our hearts and in our minds in this season, Father. It's a season of change, a season of transition in our lives as individuals and also in our church, Father. And we trust that your will will be done in all of it. Father, help us to know and seek after that above all things, not our own desires and wishes, but, but what you want, Father. And God, as we do that, help us do that persistently to continue to go and to not give up hope and to not, uh, to not lose heart, Father, to trust that you are at work and that your will is being done, even when we can't see it, even when we are unsure, even when we fear that we have fallen out of your grace, God, to know that you love us and that, you've trusted, uh, that, you, that we could trust you uh, and that you are with us. And God, we pray that as we take this time to reflect over communion, it's an opportunity to recognize the sacrifice that was made for us to show us that love. Father, an opportunity to see what it is that you have done for us, that we might go and tell others how much you love them. God, we pray that you would stir in our hearts and opportunities uh, to share your love with others, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.